It's essential. We talked about for the last two weeks that we live on a battlefield. Now, whether you realize it or not, we live on a battlefield. And so it's, it's essential that we know the battlefield, and that we understand that battlefield, because we're all going to be fighting. I mean, how many of you have had an easier week this week than you had last week? A few of you have. It pretty much stayed the same for me, okay? But uh, I'm glad it's let up for some of you, okay? We'll pray that it'll let up for the rest of us. But I've talked to a few this morning, and it's, it's gotten even more interesting. But we need, to, we need to understand that battlefield. We need to train for that battlefield. It's interesting that our soldiers, when they are headed for deployment, they train for the area of the world that they're going to. They don't just load up on a plane and get off and figure themselves out. No, they, they train for months and months and months. And, and a lot of soldiers right now are going to Afghanistan, headed toward the Middle East area. And so they, they're going to train in the deserts, and they're going to train in the mountains, and they're going to train in the cities, in the village situations, because every one of those battlefields presents a different situation. And if you don't understand the situation, and you're not trained to spot the terrain and to pick up the enemy, you'll get killed. It's dangerous. It's the same for us. I remember um, a couple of years ago, in 2011, uh, many of you have heard of SEAL Team 6, and they are supposedly the, the team that took bin Laden out. Well, for months and months, literally for years and years and years, they had been tracking bin, Osama bin Laden. And they had, they had finally found him in a place in Pakistan in a little con, compound in Abbottabad. I think that's the name of the place. And what happened is they begin to, uh, to zero in on that place. And they begin to take photos. And they begin to do reconnaissance. And they did all this kind of stuff. And so they knew exactly what that place looked like. And so for those soldiers that were, were going in to, to, to attempt to capture him, they begin to train. In fact, they built two compounds in the United States. One was in, Ar- I mean, excuse me, in the mountains of Nevada, and the other one was in North Carolina. And they trained for months and months and months, and months. And then they got the command. They got the orders to go. And so, on uh, May the 1st, last day of April, they, they took off from an air base, and they flew to a Abata- uh, I'm going to try to get this right. band. I, I, I struggle with those names a little bit. But they flew in on these choppers that were, were stealth choppers. They, they were specially designed to evade the enemy uh, uh, radar and, and different things. And they flew low so that they didn't pick up, you know, a lot. I'm sure they drew some attention, okay? I can just imagine at my house when they fly over low, it draws attention. But these were, these were fast. They were here. They were gone. And there were two uh, choppers full of Navy SEALs. And they had prepared for every circumstance and every situation that they could think of. They realized that they weren't just going to land, knock on the door, and their enemy turn himself over to them. They, they knew that. And so they, they practiced and they trained and they trained. And they were as prepared as you can be. And so when they began to, to get to the compound, one of the choppers sat down in the gate, was going to block the gate, but there was a lot of updraft created because of the heat and because of the wall, and the, and the helicopter crashed. All of a sudden, their training kicked in. They didn't abort the plan. They just changed the plan. The battlefield changed. And can I just tell you something? Your battlefield is going to change from minute to minute. 
The battlefield's going to be the same, but the terrain's going to change. And so they just, they adjusted. They were there for 38 minutes, okay? 15 minutes into it, they had accomplished their goal. There were just some loose ends they needed to tie up for the rest of the time. 38 minutes, that, that's not long. And then they were gone. They were victorious because they had trained and they knew what they were supposed to do and they did it. Now, spiritual warfare also has a battlefield. And to stand firm on it, we have to be just as prepared as our military is when they deploy. The difference is, is the terrain of the battlefield we wage on changes. It changes quickly. It changes from person to person. The battlefield is the same. I want you all to hear me there. The battlefield is the change is the same, but the terrain changes. You know where the battlefield that we fight on is? Right here. I was going to give a measurement, but some of our heads are smaller and some of our heads are bigger. It's the, it's the space somewhat between your ears. It's, it's not your brain, okay? Your brain is, a, is, an, is an organ, but it's your mind. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. But the battlefield is our mind. And it's the place where the enemy relentlessly attacks. Any of you have to struggle every once in a while with thoughts? And I don't mean, I don't mean lustful thoughts. I just mean thoughts that you know you didn't think up. They just flew through. All of us do that. And he wages an attack there. Because he wants to grab hold of that spot. If he can influence or he can control your mind, and there's not a lot of difference between the two, okay? If you influence something, you control it. You exercise some control over it. But if he can influence or he can can, uh, exercise control on what we think, then we will eventually do what he wants us to do. Because what I think is what I will do. What I believe is what I eventually become. That's just reality. We, we could talk, you know, that's not, you know, I, I, I watch this or, I, or I, you know, I spend my time studying this. Well, you know what? That's what you will become eventually. Now let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We've been looking at this passage of Scripture. We're just going to look at one verse here because it's interesting how Paul starts out. In Ephesians chapter 6, Verse 11, he tells us, he says, put on the full armor of God. And we've talked a little bit about that. The full armor of God is Jesus. That's who the armor is. We put on Jesus. He says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm, to plant your feet on that battlefield and not be moved, not be pushed back, not be destroyed. He says, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Paul uses a word here. It, it's translated in English, schemes, or, or in some of the translation, wiles, W-I-L-E-S. And it, it's the word methodia. Now, you, you hear an int- uh, a, a word that, that's similar to a word we have in English, method. And it comes from, from it, that's where our word method comes from. It comes from the Greek word methodia. And methodia, it, it means plans or craftiness or wiles or, or strategies or scheming. In other words, it's his modus operandi, his MO. This is his MO. We need to stand firm against his MO. Now, the root of this word is odos. 
And you may not be familiar with that, but how many of you have ever heard the word exodos, exodus? It's the Greek word for, it means, odos means road or way or pathway. Ex means out. And, and it was, it's the word which means the road out of Egypt, the exodus out. And so he, he has an odos. He, he, he's building a road. And, and what he wants to do, his MO is to build a roadway into our mind. And if he can build a roadway there, a pathway that he can get in and get out, you know what he does? He gets a foothold. Now, once he gets a foothold, you know what he does? He builds a stronghold. And once he has a stronghold, he has to supply it. So he has that, that roadway in and out. And that's, that's what he attempts to do. He tr- attempts to get a beachhead in our mind. Then he builds a stronghold, and from that stronghold, then he moves out, and he builds other ones in different areas. And what happens is, all of a sudden, we're doing things we don't really want to do. Things we would have never dreamed we would have ever done. We're having thoughts that just seem to overwhelm us. Now listen to me, okay? The devil cannot make you do anything that you don't choose to do. I want to be very clear there. But it's like you've opened the front door to your mind and said, hey, come on in. And he never comes by himself. He always brings a host with him. And so what happens is, 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 is they, they strengthen those strongholds and he gets in our mind and he begins to influence our thinking. And ultimately, he influences what we believe and what we don't believe. Folks, he's after our mind. If he can control our mind, he controls the rest of us. Now, your mind's not necessarily your brain, okay? I want you to chill there, all right? The brain's what we think with, but our, our mind really is, it's a part of our soul. It's, 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 it's who we are. It's the, the part of us that, that houses our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions, our memories. It's who we are. So why does he want to control our mind? I want you to think, I want to use an illustration from warfare. And this is true now, and it's always been true. It's true in the ancient world. If you could control an opponent's head, you controlled your opponent. Okay? That's just true. If you can control his head, you control him. And so that's why in the ancient world, they would, before the battle, you would, you would hear all these screams and yelling going on one side, or you'd hear the drums pounding for hours and hours and hours. That's why you would see, uh, you would see uh, the, the one that, that wanted you to think they had the superior power. They would march troops in here and march troops out there. And, and it, it, all of a sudden, you know, the, the other side would begin to think, There's more of them than there are of us. They're stronger than we are. My gosh, what's going on over there? I'm going to tell you what, when you hear noises in the dark, they sound a lot worse than they usually are. Amen? And sometimes they're worse than they sound. Okay? And that's the way way ancient armies used to do it. They do the same thing today. They do the same thing today. Maybe a little differently. Maybe it's the same thing, just a little higher tech, okay? And so the, the idea was if you could intimidate your enemy or you could create fear in your enemy or you could confuse your enemy, 
you'd won the battle. And so what happens is if, if, if you have the advantage, you control the battlefield. And if all else failed in the battle, you cut your enemy's head off. And you say, Nelson, that was gross, and you could have left that off. Well, listen to me. If he has no head, he's not a threat anymore. Okay? And that's the way the enemy looks at it. He wants to control our mind. He wants to control our thought process. Last week we talked about who God is. We talked about our position in Christ. And folks, if you don't have those ingrained in your mind, you don't stand a chance. Okay, I don't know how else to say it. You don't have any hope of winning many battles if, if God is not bigger than the enemy. And if you're not in Christ and you can't be overwhelmed by the enemy because you're in Christ because of your position, if you don't have those two things working in here, he will mess you up, he will tie you in knots, he will play all kind of games with your head. And what will happen is you'll be useless and you'll be defeated. And you won't win many battles. I'm not a big Bruce Lee fan, but some of you won't even know who Bruce Lee is. But Bruce Lee was, he was pretty big when I was a little younger. And Bruce Lee said this. He was a martial arts fighter and he became an actor. He says, as you think, so you shall become. As you think, so you shall become. Folks, the enemy wants our mind. And he is very crafty at getting to it. He often attacks us through specific gates. One of those gates uh, is really is, is five gates. It's our sense gate. And you say, what, what, what do you mean our sense gate? Sense of smell, sense of hearing, sense of sight, our touch, and there's one more. Taste, taste. See, that's, that's how we sense things. And if he can manipulate some of those things, or he can enhance some of those things, or cause us to, to get fixated on something, guess what? He's got a road into my mind. He's created a beachhead. That's why what we see, we have to be very careful with. What we hear, we have to be very careful of. We, we, our senses are open doors. There's also, though, our emotional gate. It's, it's how we feel. It's how we experience things. And you know what? I believe in experience. I don't, I don't believe that, that our relationship with God is to be all rational. It's all to be, up being here in our mind. I believe we're to experience things. But listen to me. It really doesn't matter how you feel or what happened to you if it doesn't agree with Scripture. Okay? So we have to test it. We have to, we have to be careful of our, of, of, of our experiences because how we feel and, 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 and what we've experienced may be wrong. Now, there's another gate. It's called, I just called it the rational gate. It's, it's, our, th- it's our thought, our mind. He wants to get in, in our mind how we, how we uh, think. Now, the reality of it is, is the sense gate, the emotion gate, and the rational gate are all easily manipulated. And he's a master manipulator. 
So we have to guard those things. The Bible tells us when it comes to certain things that we're, we're not to stand there and consider them. We're to run. Man, it talks about lust. It says flee, run. When, when David was confronted by Potiphar's wife, he didn't go, hmm, what should I do? He, as pastor I used to have, said he put it in boogie and he got out of there. He ran. And folks, we have, to, we have to flee sometimes. Sometimes we have to test things by the Word of God. We have, to, we have to look at things and we have to assess them and say, okay, what does Scripture say about this? It doesn't matter how I feel about it or what my flesh wants to do. I have to look at it and say, okay, what does Scripture teach? That's why the early church was so insistent on clear biblical teaching and establishing doctrine. Now, most Christians, we don't want to hear doctrine anymore. But folks, if you don't know what you believe, you'll fall for anything. We'll fall for anything if we're not careful. That's why it's so important to know what the Bible teaches. Well, how do I learn what the Bible teaches? Get it out and read it. Just start in Genesis and work your way through. If you can do that in a year, wonderful. If it takes you five years, wonderful. If it takes you the rest of your life, wonderful. Just learn what the book says. It will help you discern when the enemy's attacking. You see, it, it, you can defend yourself when you have the ammunition. Now, fav Satan's favorite tactic, and, and Paul mentions it, Later in this passage, he, he talks about the fiery darts, the flaming missiles. We've all, we've all read that and how you, you, can, uh, you can stop those flaming missiles with the shield of faith. The thing is, we don't sometimes understand exactly what he's talking about. And, and what he does is he launches fiery darts. Now, does he pull back an arrow and shoot it literally? No. You know what he does? He sends a temptation. He sends an emotion. He sends an idea. How many of you realize that every bird that a thought that flies through your mind is not your own? Y'all do understand that, don't you? The devil can, can send stuff. The key is I don't let it stop. I send it on. Okay? But what would happen is, in the ancient world, they would take darts or they would take arrows and they would dip those arrows in pitch or tar. It set them on fire. Now, I don't know if you ever played uh, with fire when you were a child. I'm looking to make sure I can tell this story. Okay, I feel like I can. My brother and I burn up anything we get our hands on. I mean, and, and plastic bread bags. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Man, I'm going to tell you what. You get a bread bag going and flip it around, that thing starts throwing little 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 deals of fire out. That's the idea. It, it, plastic begins to melt. It begins to drip. It gets on you. It burns you. Well, they would, they would put these arrows in and get a big glob of pitch on it, and they would light it up, and they would shoot it. And the idea was, you know what? It really didn't matter if it hit somebody. It was going to cause damage no matter what, because when it hit, what would happen is that, that pitch would explode, and it would go all over the place. And one arrow might set 20 people on fire. It might, set, it might set a building on fire. It might set a wall on fire. And so the only defense that they had, and Paul is looking at a Roman soldier. He's looking at a soldier with a shield that's about this tall. 
It's about this wide. And it was, it was partly made out of metal. It wasn't all metal. I mean, he wouldn't have been able to carry it if it, if it had been. But it was rimmed in metal. But it was made out of wood. And wood's flammable, amen? Really flammable. And so what they would do is they would stretch several uh, skins over it. Leather. They would put several layers of leather. Now the key was, leather's flammable. But the key was, every soldier oiled that leather. It was a regular thing that he did. He would oil the leather to keep it pliable, to keep it soft. And then on the night before they would go in battle, they soaked that leather in water. And so that when a fiery dart hit it, it would, it would just extinguish it. And that's the picture that, that Paul is, 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 is painting here, is that every soldier took care of his own weapons and gear. Folks, we have to maintain our weapons. We have to maintain our gear. You, you can't depend on the pastor to take care of your shield. Okay? You have to learn how to take care of it. And we do that by faith, through faith. Well, how do we increase our faith? We learn who God is. It's not enough to hear what pastor so-and-so says or, or, or theologian so-and-so or teacher so-and-so. Folks, we have to learn what Scripture says. And the Bible's where we learn about Jesus. And so it's our responsibility, every one of us, to get it out and to read it. And to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it. Well, I just don't understand sometimes what some of that stuff means. Can I just tell you a secret? Now, I promise you I won't tell anybody. I don't either. There are some passages in Scripture that still are a mystery to me. And I've studied them, and I've studied them, and I've studied them. And I still don't understand exactly what they mean. But like Mark Twain said, it's not what I don't understand that bothers me, it's what I do understand. There, there's plenty in here that if we'll just learn and put it into use, folks, we'll shut that roadway off. We'll cut that roadway in half. Every soldier prepared his own weapons. And so when he went into battle, he, he didn't have to depend on and worry about the guy that handed the shields out. Did he soak my shield last night? He either knew his shield was soaked or he didn't. And every one of us know, you know what, I've either read God's Word and I've, I've put some of it into my life or I haven't. I've either done it or I've coasted on the back of what the pastor told me on Sunday. Folks, listen to me. If, if all you get is what you hear on Sunday, you're not getting enough. If, I, if you only ate one day a week, you would soon starve to death. Amen? Well, I'll say, I, I couldn't live off one day a week, okay? <laughs> I just couldn't. Now, you say, well, you know, I don't understand some of those things. Well, the Holy Spirit will explain it when you need it. If you'll read it, He'll bring those things you've read back in those moments when, you know what, I don't know what to do here. Do this. Where in the world did that come from? Well, it came right out of the book. It came right out of Scripture. And the Holy Spirit, He gave it life. And besides that, what we need to know has been written here. He's given us His, his Word, and He's given us the Spirit of God to write it in our minds. Now, you may find this hard to believe, but this came right out of Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16, God says, God says this, and I believe Paul wrote this, okay? This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart, and upon their mind I will write them. 
Do you realize that as believers, God has put His law in our heart and He has written right and wrong in our mind and we know right and wrong. I didn't get much amen there. We know what's right and wrong. Do you know, I'll go even a step farther. People who don't know Jesus, who've never been introduced to Jesus, have a sense of what's right and wrong. Read Romans chapter 1. God showed us as human beings what's right and wrong. And I, I hear people all the time will say, well, you know, that's not wrong. They know it's wrong. I've, I've, I've talked to people that were struggling in different kinds of bondages. People know it's wrong. It's not an issue of whether it's wrong or right. It's an issue of whether I want to do it or not. That's the issue. It's an issue of choice. It's an issue of will. And so Scripture says that God hasn't just given us His Word. He's written it in our, in our mind. He's written it in our heart. And besides that, as believers, we, have, we, we can go another step farther. You and I have access to the mind of Christ. That's what Scripture teaches. You know, there was, there was a, a, a phase here several years ago where everybody was wearing uh, these little bracelets like this that said, WWJD. What would Jesus do? It's pretty good. You stop and you go, what would Jesus do in this situation? Because we have access to the mind of Christ, the Holy Spirit will tell us. The Holy Spirit will show us what we're supposed to do. He will reveal it to us in those moments when we need to know what Jesus do. God, what will you what do you do? You ever been in one of those situations? God, what do I do here? Boom, out of the blue. Okay. Well, this is what First Corinthians chapter two, verse 12 and 13 says, Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit of God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, and not the words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. In other words, Paul says, God has given us spiritual words and spiritual thoughts, and we can discern those things because we have access to the mind of Christ. He goes on in this passage and he says this. He says that those who don't know Christ cannot discern those things. To them, it's, it's foolishness. It seems stupid or moronic. But then he says this in the latter part of, of, of verse 16. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. Folks, the Spirit of Christ will reveal the mind of Christ if you'll just take a moment every once in a while and ask Him. He'll guide you. The Lord is my shepherd. Shepherds lead, and He is a shepherd. Now, the, the enemy desperately wants us, and he wants to entice us to conform. And that's an interesting word. To conform means to be pressed into a mold. I don't know if they're doing it right now, but every once in a while they get the Play-Doh out in the children's department. And they put that Play-Doh in those molds and, and they mash it. And you know what happens? Out pops or whatever that mold is, except it's still Play-Doh on the inside. It's just Play-Doh that looks like they conform it. And the devil wants to conform us. He wants to press us into a mold. He wants us to be cookie-cutter. And he wants us to be cookie-cutter to the world's beliefs. In other words... Whatever everybody else is doing, that's probably what we ought to be doing. 
what everybody says is normal, exciting, good, or popular, that's, hey, that's what you ought to be doing. Guess what? That's not what Scripture tells us. It doesn't say be conformed. It says be transformed. You see, conformed is being pressed into a mold, and it's your exterior. Transformation it means there's something happening on the inside, and it's the interior. And the interior comes out, and the exterior is changed. I love Romans chapter 2. I mean, chapter 12, verse 2. It says, don't be conformed to this world. In other words, don't, be, don't let your friends, don't let the people you work with, don't let your family press you into a mold of this world. That's what he's saying there. But be transformed. Be, be changed from the inside out. Let those, let those new thoughts produce new actions. How do we do that? By renewing of your mind. That we may prove what the, good, what the will of God is, what's good and acceptable. In other words... Every day, I've got to renew my mind. I've got to feed my mind. I've got to put something in there every day. Or folks, what happens is, the transformation slows down, and the conforming starts. I heard a pastor say this morning as I was getting ready, He said, you're either moving toward God and growing with God or you're sliding away. There's no static place. And that's true. You're either growing or you're sliding. So we have to, to, every day we have to renew our minds. And I believe that there's a passage of Scripture we're going to look at just really briefly this morning and then we're going to be done. I believe there's a Scripture that tells us how to, to be transformed, how to change Literally from the inside out. Our problem is that all of us, and I'm going to say that again, all of us have conformed in some fashion or form. We've all allowed some of the world, and by that I don't mean what's going on necessarily with people, but the enemies, his system. We've, we've allowed him to build these little strongholds in all of us. And what happens is they may be little strongholds of thought, or there may be little strongholds of unbelief or or disbelief, but whatever they are, they're lies, okay? And what happens is you can have uh, a belief system, which is good, but at the core of it, there's a little lie, and guess what? You've built a whole system on a lie. You have no foundation for what you believe. And so what happens is, when you get in a tight place, guess what happens? That lie reaches out and grabs hold of you. And, and then what happens? Fear takes hold. Uncertainty takes hold. It affects our thinking. It affects our attitude. It affects our, 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 our actions. And you know when it happens? At the most inopportune moments. That's when it happens. And all of a sudden, you're afraid or you're uncertain, or you're insecure. You don't know what to do. And folks, it's at those moments that, the, that our God wants us to step forward on the battlefield. He wants us to, to take the relationship we have with Him, or, or the witnessing situation that we're involved in, or a thousand other good things. 
He wants us to take ground, and what happens? That little stronghold reaches out, and we freeze. And we don't know what to say. Or I'm afraid if I say this, they'll, they'll say that. Or if I, if I say no to this, my friends will make fun of me. Or if I do this, this will happen. And all of a sudden, we're frozen. We're not useful. What happens, that little stronghold causes us to hit pause or to act inappropriately or just to run. And folks, that stronghold is like giving the enemy the remote control that we run off of. Because at any moment, he can start dialing the dials if he has control of my mind. Paul tells us that Jesus gave us a different set of weapons. And they have to be used to dismantle these strongholds. And, and these strongholds are mental, okay? I want you to listen to Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 5. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, and what he means there is, is that we're human beings. Though we walk as human beings, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, our campaign, that's, that's the picture there, our campaign against the enemy, are not of flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. That word fortress is another word for stronghold. It can also, it's another word for prison. And a stronghold is also a prison. It's a place of bondage. It's, it's a thought system that's in place in our mind. Then he goes on and says, we are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Jesus has given us his mind so that we can take our mind captive. And when we take our mind captive, then we can root out the enemy. We can take control back of the battlefield. I said this earlier, you can't stop the thoughts from going through your head, okay? But you can determine what you do with them. When it says that, 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 that uh, we're destroying speculations and, and every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God, we're taking th every thought captive. What does that mean? Well, it means when a thought goes through my mind, I go, wait a minute. Stop right there in Jesus' name. Is this thought healthy? You know, if I think about this for a minute or two, is this going to make me a better person? Is this thought sinful? Now, let's just be real honest, okay? Let's just get painfully honest here. It doesn't take a second or two to figure that out. We know it is, or we know it's not, all right? But if it's sinful, then, hey, I'm not going to let it flutter around in here. Is it beneficial? Every thought is not beneficial. There may be nothing wrong with the thought, but it's just not beneficial. Is it healthy? Will this make me a more healthy person physically, emotionally, spiritually? Is this thought designed to create something in me? Like lust, or anger, or fear, or shame, or I could go on and on and on. Will this thought produce a characteristic in me that will make me like Christ? If I think on this, will I be like Jesus? You will be surprised at how quickly 
You can shut those thoughts down. When, when, when you start to get a no, then you don't have to think anymore. No, this, this will not make me more like Christ. In Jesus' name, I'm not going to think about that. Get out of my head. What you've done is you've just thought, you've taken that thought captive. Now, it may circle around your head and try to come in the same, the other ear. If it does, you do the same thing. Here's what happens. When you build a muscle, it gets stronger. And over time, you will build a wall around your mind that's made of Jesus. And there won't be near as many thoughts come fluttering through there unhampered. Folks, some of us need to lay siege to some of the strongholds that Satan has erected in our mind. A stronghold is nothing more than a fortress. It's nothing more than a wrong mindset. It's a thought pattern that he's gained within us. And what happens is, when he has one in us, we begin to fight against ourselves. You see the picture? You can't focus on the enemy. You're focusing on whatever the bondage is or the stronghold is. And all of a sudden, you're fighting yourself. And if you're fighting yourself, you're not fighting the enemy. I call these strong, they're traitors. When you get in the thick of the battle, they start to hack at you. You've got, a, you've got a traitor in your, your, your own defense system. And if you don't get rid of them, folks, I'm telling you, when you get in a battle, they'll rise up and destroy you. They have to be taken captive. They have to be pulled down. They have to be destroyed. We have to get rid of those speculations and those beliefs that we've allowed to come into our minds. And I don't have time this morning to, to go into those, but they're pretty obvious. I don't, I don't think I have to explain too many. We have to face the belief systems. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to, 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 to expose them, to shine some light on them. If you'll ask Jesus, Lord, is this a good belief system? Is, is this right? I mean, very quickly, he'll point out what's right and what's wrong. And we have to find the lie. And when we find the lie, we confess the lie. We ask God to forgive us and expose it. Then all of a sudden, what happens is you're taking back ground. And before long, you've pulled that stronghold down. It doesn't exist anymore. And we begin to use the mind of Christ. Folks, we have to recognize the battlefield is here. It's not the guy that cut me off in traffic. It's not my boss. It's not the person who plays pranks on me all the time. It's not my mother-in-law. It's not my father-in-law. It's not my mama. It's not my daddy. It's not my brother. It's not my family members. We have to recognize who the enemy is. And folks, we have to take a stand on that battlefield and we have to get our head cleaned up. Because if we have a mind that's clean, we have a mind that's prepared for battle, we can recognize the schemes of the devil. A good commander recognizes the tricks. He doesn't get sucked into the traps. Temptation's a trap. It's a pit. The enemy wants you to walk off into the pit. They come, I mean, if we were honest, they come, they, they come pretty much the same way every time. The reason he keeps sending them the same way every time is they work. 
about nine out of ten times when he sends them. But we have to recognize that battlefield. We have to understand that right here is where it's won or lost. What I'm thinking today is who I will be tomorrow. That's just the way it is. We have to renew this, and we have to daily step up, and we have to step out in it. And once we do that, folks, we can stand firm. We can plant our feet, and we can withstand whatever the enemy sends. I shared with you last week about some of the things that, that were going on with me. And if I let those things flutter in here around, I create all kinds of scenarios, and I start to worry. And when I start to worry, I take my eyes off God. And when I take my eyes off God, all kind of bad things start to happen. It's the same with you. Stop worrying about your boss. Pray for him. Pray for her. Stop worrying about the situation at home. Pray about it. Stop worrying about your marriage relationship. Pray about it. Do what God tells you to do. Stop worrying about your children and where they are and what they're doing. Put some rules into place. Pray for that child. Enforce those rules. Folks, become active. Get your head right. Get your head back into the battle. And the rest of you will follow. Let's pray. Father, this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.